Jesus' ongoing presence with the disciples will be made known through the coming Spirit who will guide them and communicate to them Jesus' will and glory. The Holy Gospel according to John, the 16th chapter. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, she will guide you into all the truth, for she will not speak on her own, but will speak whatever she hears, and she will declare to you the things that are to come. She will glorify me, because she will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that she will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Gospel of our Lord. You may have noticed that at the bottom of your bulletin there's a little paragraph about a couple of series we'll be doing this summer. The first session of the first series being today. So a little more clarification on all of that. We will have two different series running at the same time this summer. The second and fourth Sundays of the month is when we will, we will have those. And the first series focus us, focuses us in on discernment and mission, how God is calling us as a congregation to be church in and for the world today. On the second Sunday of the month, now through September, our worship will include singing, Listen, God is Calling, in place of a traditional Kyrie and hymn of praise. We will also add a petition to our intercessory prayers, which we will pray each week until the next second Sunday, when it will be replaced by a different petition following that theme. And of course, the sermon will be focused in some way on discernment and mission. While not true today, future sessions will replace the assigned gospel reading with another to fit the focus of the day and the hymn of the day, the hymn following the sermon, will also complement all of that. So please note that while this series is about discernment and mission, and we will talk about things like giftedness and church history, we are not going to finish this series with a new mission statement or some other product. We may use the conversations and dialogues of these next few months to help us in more, in more intentional work to co work come fall or winter, but again, not the purpose here. This is just broad strokes, laying a foundation, whatever metaphor works for you here. Now, as I said a moment ago, this week's gospel lesson that I read is the assigned reading for today for Trinity Sunday, and our hymn of the day follows. I'm also using Trinity Sunday and this hymn of the day to help us focus our mission and discernment first Sunday. So last week was Pentecost Sunday, the feast day dedicated to the Holy Spirit who comes to us in baptism and sends us out into the world to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. It's holy chaos, she calms troubled waters and troubles calm waters. Now today is Trinity Sunday, our feast day dedicated to the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. We're not gonna get into the doctrinal stuff. But when we talk about the Holy Trinity, we are talking about how our God is three in one and one in three. We talk about 
the three persons as co-equal. Kind of imagine an equilateral triangle. All the legs are the same length, all the angles are 60 degrees. But as I pointed out last week, we often kind of ignore or otherwise overlook the Holy Spirit with our Christian focus on the second and first persons of the Trinity. So then our triangle kind of takes on some different dimensions where the angles that are representative of the Godhead and Jesus are, are wider, they're more open, and their legs on the triangle are longer. And this makes the Holy Spirit's angle a little bit narrower, and her leg is short. When we talk about the Trinity, we describe the persons in a triad. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Mother, Brother, Counselor. Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. Lover, Beloved, Love Itself. The author of life, the living cornerstone, the life-giving spirit of adoption, etc., etc., etc. And sometimes it is easier to name or describe one person of the Trinity than another, and that's okay. Because while they are co-equal in being, they are not necessarily co-equally known or experienced. Some days, I think most days even, it is far easier for us to point to the work or expression of one of the three than it is to point equally to all three. Some days the creative work of the Godhead is overwhelmingly felt, known in our cores as we experience nature or the love of a pet. Some days it is the words of Jesus beckoning us to come and see to do for the least among us as we would do for him. And some days it is the spirit's storm or her stillness that is within us, moving us through the world to provide care, to confront just injustice, and to be merciful and just. Now some of us like structure, or we maybe kind of live in our heads. We like concrete ideas, we like stability, and thinking of the Trinity as a triangle, that is stable. Engineers, am I right? The triangle is strong and supportive as a shape. Here we go. But the Trinity is not a feat of structural engineering. Yes, they are strong and supportive. They are also social communal, and they do the engineering rather than being engineered. The Trinity might be imagined and talked about as a shape, as that triangle, but really they are more amorphous and constantly moving, like a dance. Sometimes their arms are intertwined, dancing in a circle. Sometimes it's maybe more of a line dance. Maybe sometimes each of them appears to be off dancing on their own, or maybe two kind of move together, and the third one is doing their own thing. But also, not really. 
their movements are not divergent, even if not quite complementary. Like different choreographers writing the dance to a single piece of music, or one choreographer writing the parts for different dancers to one piece. Richard Rohr is a Franciscan friar and ecumenical teacher. In his 2016 book, The Divine Dance, The Trinity and Your Transformation, and then also some corresponding videos you can look up on YouTube, Rohr talks about this 15th century icon of the Trinity written by Andrei Rublev. The persons of the Trinity are all present in human form seated around a table. They're not equally distanced around this table. Instead of being seated at thirds, they are seated at quarters. And in the fourth quarter, right in the front, there's a piece of something to which the spirit is gesturing. And that something to which she is gesturing is believed to be some remnants of glue. Rohr tells us that art historians believe there used to be a mirror in this fourth place to which the spirit is gesturing. Like we are being invited into this divine meal around which they are seated. Like we can see our image reflected in and with the divine image. Or as Rohr posits, when we see ourselves reflected in this mirror, we are like the second coming of Christ, bearing his image into the world. We are invited into the divine meal, into the divine dance. Now our bulletin gives us some questions written out for us to be considering. How do the persons of the triune God call each of us into their dance? How do we dance with the Trinity as individuals? How do we dance with the Trinity as the congregation of faith? As the congregations of faith and post and kill together? How do we dance with the Trinity as members of the Church Universal. As we begin our move into the summer on this Trinity Sunday, I invite you to imagine the triune God in and as community. What does each person look like, changing and constant? How do they invite and include you into their holy community, the meal, the dance? whatever. How are we members of faithful communities and faithful bodies? Do our communities, do our bodies dance? Do they sing in harmony? Before discernment and mission, we have to see, feel, know ourselves to be part of the divine dance of life of ongoing creation, of everything. Come, join the dance, the community of the Holy One and Three, three in one. Amen.
A reading from Acts. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. A reading from 1 Corinthians. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work powerful deeds? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. Words of God, words of life. We continue this morning with our mission and discernment series. Last month, in conjunction with Trinity Sunday, we considered each person of the Trinity and how they call us apart and together. Work in and through us, each person calling and sending, comforting and consoling, creating and blessing, each of us in their own, di own divine way. We talked about joining the divine dance of ongoing creation, love and compassion for our neighbors, and working to realize the divine realm in our here and now. Today, we are going to focus on a different question. Who, maybe sometimes what, is the church? Now the what question, what is the church, is fairly easy. It's the institutional and organizational aspects. It's what we say when we're applying for things like tax-exempt status, or if you're a kid filling out community service hours for graduation. What the church is, is building, corporation, 
service organization, a place of sanctuary for some, a place of pain for others. What is hierarchy? Rostered leaders with a professional stake in the institution, professional and volunteer lay leaders who help make things like Sunday morning worship happen and ensure our good operation. Who is the church is less tangible, less easily definable. Now our ecclesiology, the fancy church word for the study of churches or the theology applied to the nature and structure of the Christian church, gives us a simply worded answer. All of us. We are the body of Christ. We are the church of Christ together. But just like the what being both sanctuary and pain, so is who. In Acts, following the Pentecost event of the Spirit coming to the Twelve, Luke writes about the early church, a community of believers baptized in the name of Jesus, devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the meal, to prayer. They were a community of believers who shared all things together, gave to all as they had need, and spent their days praising God. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and, and to others, but I think he stated it best in what we call 1 Corinthians, that we are the body of Christ, baptized in one spirit, one body, many members, each with our own spiritual giftedness for the one body's living as interconnected community. Or as Reverend Emmanuel Lear, our synod's DEM, Director for Evangelical Mission, said at last month's assembly, the church is the only organization that exists for the benefit of those outside its membership. As the church, members of the body, we exist for the good of those who are not counted among our parts. If you read it or you remember that far back, you might recall that in the June, June newsletter, I wrote that congregations are small c expressions of the big C church. As members of the big C church, we share in the whole church's Christian mission to be like Christ, to follow and live like Jesus, feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, uplifting the oppressed, and rejecting violence. You can go read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 for more information there. As small sea expressions, we are called into being by the Spirit who sends us into our communities to walk with our neighbors in valley lows and mountain highs. How we are called to walk with our neighbors in God's love and justice changes over our lifetimes. Like we as individuals may be called to multiple vocations, child, teacher, engineer, spouse, barista, parent, accountant, to national service, etc. throughout our lives, so too are our congregations called to be new and renewed throughout our slash their lives. Think for a moment about this congregation, this congregation of faith, the result of 
multiple mergers joining together seven congregations over time? What were the founding reasons our ancestors in the faith had for planting each of those seven congregations? What were their founding reasons that our ancestors in the faith had with each merger? Some of you were part of the St. John's Our Savior's merger to become faith. What were your founding reasons? How have those reasons, that calling into being, changed, grown, and evolved over the years? And how? Do we as Faith Lutheran today understand our calling to respond to the needs of our community and our world? And adding another layer to all of this, now yoked with post and kill, how are we called together in shared ministry as small C expressions of the big C church in our respective communities and join together? Because like our bodies change, grow, adapt, and move throughout our lives, so does the living body of Christ, of which we are members. For our purposes today, the answer to our question, who is the church, we're sticking to a fairly surface-level answer. We are the church. So now as the church, the body of Christ in and for the world today, what is it that we value? Where does our time, our energy, our money, and our other resources go? What place do things like prayer, scripture, worship, and the sacraments have in our lives today as the church together, in our lives as members of the body? The Gospels reveal a Jesus frequently found in prayer, off by himself or teaching his disciples how to pray, both in the day-to-day -day and in times of distress. The Gospels give us accounts of Jesus teaching in the temple directly from the scrolls of Scripture and about the Scriptures. You have heard it said, but I say to you, the Gospels show us a Jesus raised by devout parents in a devout community who continues to uphold the tenets of his inherited faith and practice the values of hospitality, love of neighbor, justice, peace, and nonviolence. And we get Gospel accounts of Jesus sharing in the sacraments, being baptized in the Spirit like we are, where we are thus joined with Jesus in life, death, and resurrection. And we see him in the breaking of bread, in the pouring of wine, his flesh and blood becoming a feast of grace. Now we, the church, the body of Christ, ought to follow the gospel examples of Jesus, to be like him to all peoples, valuing the dignity and worth of all. The answer to who is the church is complex and more than just our answer of the last few minutes. 
more than Luke's telling of the early church sharing all things in common and living in community. More complex than Paul's analogy of us as the body of Christ for our, our, not our own bodies, more complex than we can know. And more than just the church is us, we are who the church is. We, as members of the body of Christ, are community gathered in worship and prayer, centered on word and sacrament. Who is the church is only a question along the way as we seek to ask, and maybe sometimes answer, how we are called and sent for the sake of the world today, members of Christ's own church. Amen. A reading from Exodus. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry and account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. Now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. A reading from Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the encourager in encouragement, the giver in sincerity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Word of God, word of life. So you might have noticed that this is the third installment of our Mission and Discernment series. Thus far, we've talked about the movements of the Trinity, how each person calls us into the divine dance. And we've talked about the question, who is the church? Asking how we are members of the body of Christ, interconnected and working together. Today, we're going to talk about discernment and gifts for ministry and mission. We'll start with defining discernment. 
think for a moment and shout out if you feel comfortable what you think of when you hear the word discernment in church situations and non-church situations. What? Defining? Okay. Oh, I'm confused now. Oh, okay, discernment means definition. Okay, thank you. Anybody else? So a dictionary definition of discernment is the ability to judge well, or in our Christian context, sensing or perception in the absence of judgment with a view to obtaining spiritual guidance. So discernment is the ability to take in information, consider all known factors, and evaluate it well. When we seek to discern the truth of a matter, like at a jury trial, we use the mental skills of reason and critical thinking to judge the facts and determine what has happened. When we talk about discernment in the church, it's often it's less fact-based, meaning in matters of faith, there are often a lot of unknowns that we also take into consideration. Kind of like we talked about last week concerning faith as the reality of things hoped for, the proof of things not seen. Christian discernment requires a lot of trust in addition to reasoned thinking. When we discern how God calls us to ministry as individuals and communities, congregations of faith, we evaluate our gifts and skills, the needs of God's people around us. We judge these things against and alongside how we believe and trust that God is speaking to us. So does that seem to match up with what you were thinking about? Barb nods her head, yes. It, t- discernment can feel a lot like tuition, intuition, but it isn't the same thing. Because discernment is process, and intuition is an immediate understanding without conscious reasoning. So Moses was sent down the river by his mother, who hoped, prayed her infant son would, be, would find safety and life which he did. He grew up in wealth and power, a prince over his own oppressed people, until he learned the truth and he ran away from it. And he found a new life with new people and he was content to live out his days in this fashion. And then one day a bush burned without fire and the voice of God spoke to him. Who else wishes it was this easy for the rest of us? Burning bush, God's voice. Yep, thank you. I knew I couldn't be the only one. Still, Moses asked, Who am I that you should send me? Who am I that Pharaoh will let your people go because I say the words? Who am I that your people will believe you have sent me and follow? Who else, when confronted by God telling you what to do, has said, "Um, God, are you sure you want me? Who am I that you call and send me? 
we discern a lot of things throughout our lives. Like, how did you know or decide what you were going to do with your life? Who you were or were not going to partner with? Whether or not to have children? Even which hobbies or other interests to focus on over others? Most of us, I think, we probably just kind of muddle about and try to figure it out as we go along. Some of us, we just kind of fall into one career or another or a job. And our hobbies or interests, they first develop in our families and later with classmates and friends. But I expect many of us have also heard God telling us what to do in some unexpected places with subtle or maybe sometimes not so subtle pushes towards certain people, places, or things. So take a moment now and think about, reflect on some of these things that you have discerned in your own life. Let's kind of switch gears and talk about gifts for a moment. These are sometimes just innate or natural skills, the things that we are good at. Like we might say someone has a gift for numbers and really understands finances without having to work at it. Or someone else is a gifted teacher sharing a love of learning with their students that just fills them with the same love for learning. But these natural talents Natural gifts also require work to develop. Think about Serena Williams, who just announced her retirement from professional tennis this week. Obviously a very gifted athlete, but she did not achieve her wins at number one ranking by luck or chance. She gave hours upon hours upon hours to training, developing her serve, backhand, all those other tennis things I don't know anything about. Another athlete early on may have put in the same or more hours as Serena, but lacking the same gift for the game, they did not achieve the same professional heights. The Spirit has gifted each of us for work in the church as members of the body of Christ, and we are entrusted with those gifts to develop and share them with the world. Kind of like humanity was given all the earth. All life of land, sky, and sea was entrusted to our care. Not for us to dominate and destroy, but for our mutual nurturing and growth to learn from and learn with. Interconnected systems like members or parts of a body. So think for a moment now. And again, if you're comfortable, shout them out. What are some of your gifts? How did you first kind of come to realize that that was a gift? How have you tended your gifts and developed them? How have you used them? And for whose gain?
Anybody want to admit to being unsure of what your gifts might be? Okay, good. Somebody is brave enough to do that. There are a lot of various tools out there that you can use to help you sort through some of those things. There's a web address in your bulletin that you can go. It's um, a spiritual gifts assessment by the ELCA. You can go do that online, or there's some hard copies in the back next to the bulletins when you came in. I recommend doing it on the computer if you can because it will tally all the things up for you and you don't have to flip the pages and be like, how many A's did I have and how many D's did I have? Anyway, Paul wrote to the Roman community about sober judgment and not being conformed to the ways of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of the mind and to use the gifts of God as we are members of one body together in Christ. Paul knew that people then, like people now, are sometimes, often, afraid to use their, our, gifts to be who they, we, are in the body of Christ because the world makes it easier to hide, to conform to a path of least resistance that serves idols over God. It is easier to stay silent than to speak out against injustice. And it can feel safer to let someone else risk their safety while we just reap the benefits of their protest. God called Moses into risk, into uneasy places by saying, I have seen the oppression, the injustice, the violence done to my people. You will go and set them free. And when Moses said, who am I that you send me? God replied, I will be with you. I've got your back. You have and will be given what you need to liberate my people. Paul wrote about the life of Jesus, about how following him transforms us away from the ideas and false teachings of this age and towards community and God's infinite diversity found in all peoples regardless of color, culture, or language. One body, many members. And God calls us, too, to dismantle systems of injustice and to liberate God's people from oppression and violence. In faith, we trust that when we ask, who am I, that God says back to us, I will be with you. I've got your back. You have and will be given what you need to liberate my people. How do you hear God calling? How do you know God with you, having your back, gifting you to do the holy work of being human? Amen. A reading from Luke. Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He said to them, Take nothing for your journey, 
no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Wherever they do not welcome you, as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. A reading from Matthew. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not take a road leading to Gentiles and do not enter a Samaritan town, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with a skin disease, cast out demons. And a reading from Acts. Now during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, brothers and sisters, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. But they said, please the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Procreus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Words of God, words of life. So apparently, I'm a little bit of a liar. If you recall sometime way back in Lent, when the lectionary only had us reading the story of the lost son from Luke's 15th chapter, I read the whole chapter to you, telling you that when the stories of the lost sheep and the lost coin came up in our lectionary in a few months, I'd read the whole thing to you again. Well, today is that day, and um, I did not read. Luke chapter 15 to you, nor am I going to be talking about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, because throughout this summer we've been using our second Sunday of the month to consider some different aspects of mission and discernment. Thus far, we have talked about the persons of the Trinity calling us to join their divine dance of ongoing creation, neighborly compassion, and holy chaos for justice. We have asked who is the church, and given thanks for our unity in and with Christ, rising to new life from the waters of baptism to share God's liberating word of grace. And we have talked about discernment, identifying and developing gifts to do the holy work of being human and realizing God's realm in the here and now. Today we come to our final installment of this mission and discernment series, and we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about mission. And a heads up, as we near the end, there will be a lot of rhetorical questions. But as always, you are welcome to answer them. Just interrupt, shout them out, and we'll be good. But you don't have to if you don't want to. I understand Lutherans were a quiet bunch. Anyway, this was an easy day for finding some topical scripture, as Jesus is pretty clear about what his mission is. 
All three of our synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, contain a story of Jesus calling and sending the twelve for mission and ministry, among many other such stories. And in all three of these tales, all three of these tellings, Jesus directs them not to take anything with them and gives them some orders regarding what to do if they are not welcomed. And in the sending, Jesus gives them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases and to proclaim the good news. Jesus' mission in scripture was never about getting us all into heaven when we die, a reward for being a good person and doing good things. Jesus' mission, the one he called and sent his disciples to be part of, the one the early church in Acts carried on, the mission that has been handed on down to us over nearly 2,000 years, is about upsetting and disrupting corruption, injustice, worldly evils, and proclaiming the now and not yet presence of God's realm, which is here, now, and imminently arriving. Jesus' mission of grace proclaims the holiness of God's creation in every person, even if when we don't always like them, in every living thing of earth, sky, and sea, even those below and above us on the food chain, and in everything which supports life, rocks, water, air, Many of us have grown up in the church being told that going to church is just the right thing. It's what you do. That Jesus wants us to be nice people doing nice things for others. We sometimes even really buy into that idea of being nice, and that's what being Christian is all about. And we try to make everyone Christian in our image. And we all know those people who claim they are the good Christians and we should be like them, or maybe we've even been those people. So I don't want anybody pretending like you have no idea what I'm talking about. But that's not really what Jesus was about or intending for us, his followers and imitators. Imitating Jesus Truly being of Christ, carrying on the mission, requires us to do more than just the feel-good stuff. Now, we still do those things because there are people in front of us right now that need help. And we can offer some relief through things like food pantries or making quilts for shelters. But Jesus' mission also requires that we step outside of our comfort zones go to places where we risk unwelcome and confront injustice and oppression while proclaiming God's love for everyone. Jesus has given his disciples then and now power and authority over demons to cure diseases, to proclaim the good news to all. As we've been talking this summer about the myriad ways the Trinity creates, gifts, and calls us, what are some of the things that you've been thinking about? What are some things that you have discovered about yourself? Even discovered about God? What kind of things have you been discerning or maybe just turning over in your mind? 
sending the 12 then and us now to have power and authority over demons and disease to proclaim the good news. That mission of Jesus, the church, the body of Christ continues. Our world is full of demons and diseases for which Jesus sends us out into the world to confront. Sometimes we say things like someone has their demons when we really mean or don't know how to better talk about things like addiction or mental illness or the wounds of abuse and trauma. We name different diagnosable conditions as disease. We have charity walks for them. Sometimes we have charity walks for social diseases like poverty too. And as I said before, doing those direct aid kind of things are important. And as members of the body Christ, we share in the duty to confront and dismantle oppression and injustice, the demons and diseases of our day. What are the ways that God calls you, calls us together as a congregation to fight demons and disease? And similarly, we are not just called to take down demons, we are called and sent to proclaim the good news of God to all. And in our hymns, in our prayers, we sing, we say, all are welcome. But sometimes when we hold up the mirror, the ugly reflection is that we are excluding people. As an example, the ELCA is the whitest Christian denomination in the United States. We have a problem with not only welcoming, but also including people of color and their perspectives. It's the church. We also leave out voices of those who are differently abled than us. We fail to acknowledge our LGBTQIA plus neighbors as our siblings in Christ. And sometimes we avoid those neighborhoods because they aren't safe. But what if, what if we heeded the words of Jesus to the 12, not taking anything with us, but his power and authority over demons and diseases and the word of God? What if we really believed in the gifts of God uniting us, calling us in and sending us out? Our mission and discernment series is concluding. But the story continues the work of discerning, the work of God's mission to justice and love, grace and mercy continues. They never end. Listen, God is calling. Go with the Spirit. Follow Jesus. Amen.